Hello from Boise, Idaho, and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. Well, it's back to school week in the Treasure Valley. Uh, classes opened on Monday in the Boise School District and on Wednesday in the West Ada School District. But while it's back to school season, it's actually also election season. We've got uh, races coming up uh, in Boise and across the state in the next couple of weeks, starting with what is becoming a fairly heated election for Boise School Board. Clark, you were there on Tuesday morning when the six candidates uh, faced off at a forum. What did you hear? Yeah, um, this was interesting. This was the first forum I've seen for the Boise School Board Mm -hmm. uh, election that's going to be coming up in September. We'll remind you of that date here in a second. It is September 4th, and we'll talk about that and why it's that date in a minute. But uh, six candidates, um, the top three vote-getters will get a six-year term on the Boise School Board. And I saw kind of five of the six candidates be generally agreeable and expressing a desire to work together. And two of those five are incumbents, incumbents. Troy Roan and Maria Greeley. And they sort of uh, pitch themselves as as part of a ticket. You know, we're supporting Mm -hmm. each other as fellow incumbents. So kind of five of the six candidates, a lot of agreement, uh, a lot of talk about uh, coming forward with a unified voice and teamwork on the school board. And then I saw the sixth candidate kind of position himself as an outsider and an independent thinker uh, and looking to change things up. And so that's obviously Brandon Durst, former Idaho legislator, uh, served time in the Idaho House and in the Idaho Senate, uh, resigned uh, from his seat in the Idaho Senate early after a local journalist with KTVB caught him uh, splitting his time living outside of the state of Idaho, but right. continuing Spending to act part of as time a legislator. In Seattle and still uh, serving in the, in the Idaho legislature. And so, sort of like right off the bat, uh, Brandon sort of stood out. And I think this was a, a strategy, I think this was intentional, but he rejected the opening question from moderator Molly Linty. And, and I've seen a lot of debates, and this is just kind of an unusual move, but she asked about diversity and inclusivity within the Boise School District. And Brennan just sort of cut her off and said, I don't think that that question's on point, quite frankly. But meanwhile, the other candidates, and specifically Alicia Esty, who went next, talked about the 85 different languages that students mm-hmm. are speaking throughout the district, uh, the I mean, rise yeah, in demographics this, of Hispanic and Latino students. And this is a district that has been uh, refugee population, refugee students for years. And so Brandon sort of said, well, when you ask normal folks and normal voters were the terms that he used, that's not something that's really on their mind. And he talked about, instead, he kind of shifted back and said he wanted to create a pathway for success for all students. But it kind of continued like that throughout this hour-long debate. The other candidates would sit at a table and answer the questions, and he would kind of stand up and and pace in front of the table. Uh, He just positioned himself as... is different and an independent thinker and an outsider, but I think he's feeling a little bit of heat, Kevin, because as we've noticed and as you've blogged about, this has become kind of a heated race, and he's right in the center uh, of that controversy. Right. I mean, writers love metaphors, right? So I think that what you're describing from the forum on Tuesday is kind of a metaphor for what seems to be unfolding in this election. You know, Boise School Board races tend to be kind of snoozers. They're, they're low turnout elections, they're low profile elections. Uh, this one is a bit of an exception in the sense that uh, there's been a lot of chatter uh, on social media channels and 
a lot of kind of whisper campaigning going on. Uh, yeah, when this I was race. at the forum, and it all seems to kind of center on Brandon Durst. I got handed like eight pages of basically opposition research against Brandon Durst, and that just doesn't happen at school board forums. Um, but you blogged about an article that our friend Cynthia Sewell from the Idaho Statesman worked on uh, this week that kind of got into. Some people have pulled back some endorsements uh, from Brandon, both one in Idaho and, and also in Washington State. Uh, but this was information that had been kind of circulating within the in journalism circles for three, four weeks now. And, and Cynthia put it all together with an article, uh, Tuesday night, Wednesday timeline. Yeah, right. It, it stems from uh, some, some claims of abuse and harassment uh, involving Brandon Durst uh, and his ex-wife, uh, claims of, of abuse and harassment in Washington State. Uh, Cynthia Sewell with the Idaho Statesman wrote the story and did a good job of kind of unwrapping the whole uh, story of, of the claims. Uh, Durst denies any wrongdoing. He has not been, been arrested charged. or charged, He's never and that's important. charges on, on these. But as you mentioned, and as uh, Cynthia Sewell points out in her story, um, the, the controversy surrounding uh, Brandon Durst's past probably cost him one prominent endorsement in this uh, school board election. T.J. Yeah. Thompson, a member of the Boise City Council, had endorsed uh, Durst pretty enthusiastically on his Facebook page. And I watched this unfold on Facebook, too, because I have no life and spend a lot of time <laughs> on Facebook and, uh, and, and follow T.J. Thompson. He received a bunch of comments from people saying, hey, wait a minute, you're endorsing Brandon Durst. Do you know about this? Have you heard about these claims? Have you seen this article from the Olympian uh, in 2016 uh, when Durst was running for a legislative seat in Washington state? Long story short, uh, Thompson pulled back the yeah. whole post off of his <clears throat> Facebook page and has effectively uh, rescinded his endorsement. I mean, Thompson told Sewell, uh, there were things that came out, uh, you know, you know, comments that were made about things that I didn't know about. So that's that's walking back an endorsement uh, pretty clearly. Um, so I think what you're seeing in this election is um, you're seeing, like I said, you're seeing a lot of chatter on social media, especially in, in Boise Democratic circles. Mm -hmm. a, a lot of prominent Democrats on social media in, in Boise saying, you know, we have real problems with Brandon Durst at this point. We really do not want to see him get elected to the school board, vote for anybody but Brandon Durst. I've seen those kind of comments and, and posts on Twitter and Facebook for the past couple of weeks. Um, yeah, and, and I think what you're seeing now is, uh, is Durst is kind of running this outsider campaign. So you talk about how he kind of differentiated himself in tone and in temperament at the forum on Tuesday, I think you're seeing some of that too. I mean, he's he's posted on his own campaign page, look, I'm clearly not the establishment candidate. That's not how I like to do politics. I'm trying to get the, the vote of, you know, of the people. The fact of the matter being that a lot of the prominent endorsements in this race are going to uh, Alicia Esty. Um, you track some of those. Who, who are those endorsements? Right, some very big name Democratic uh, uh Heavy hitters uh, supporting Esty, uh, Mayor Dave Beter, uh, A.J. Belukov. And this is significant. A.J. Belukov has been on that school board for 21 years. He's retiring. That's why you have one open right. spot on the school board. You have two incumbents and four challengers. 
you will have at least one newcomer on the school board because uh, you're, you're guaranteed of that because Belukov is re retiring. When I talked to Belukov back in July, he said, you know, I'm probably going to endorse Troy Rohn and Maria Greeley, the two incumbents. I've worked with them. They're doing a good job. I, I, I like what they're doing. They deserve a second term in my view. But, you know, I'm probably not going to endorse beyond that. I'm going to let the rest of the race play itself out. Well, turns out this week, uh, Belukov did endorse Asti. And I think it, it, he joins a pretty long list uh, uh, members of the Idaho legislature uh, from Boise have endorsed Asti. Yeah. A couple of members of the Boise City Council, as I mentioned, uh, uh, Mayor Dave Beter, um, Essie's campaign, uh, Beth Oppenheimer, a member of the Boise School Board, has been working with her on her campaign. She was an early uh, supporter of Essie, who is a compliance officer and administrator at Boise State University. One of the vice presidents, yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, she's got a fairly high-ranking position at the university, but uh, to my knowledge, I think this is the first time she's run for any uh, elective office. So you definitely have uh, Durst running as kind of this outsider, and, you know, Full disclosure here, um, yeah. Durst has never been a fan of Idaho education news. He's been very outspoken in opposition, in criticism of, of us and our funding and our our existence. And, and he and I have had uh, plenty of uh, moments, uh, shall we say, <laughs> on uh, you know in you know in face to face confrontation and face to face to face conversation and over social media. So it's a little bit touchy to talk about uh, what's going on with this campaign and with this candidate, but it's out there. It is definitely an undercurrent of this election. And the story Cynthia Sewell broke this week, those those links to those stories from Washington State, uh, they've been chopped around to media for several weeks. And that's not sour grapes. Uh, it was kind of a story that for a lot of reasons, uh, we uh, did not want to pursue and you know Cynthia Sewell who's a terrific reporter did a really nice job of putting it all together so, so kudos to her yep. and it's important to get it out there let people see it for, for themselves but that is a story and a lot of this stuff has you know been chopped around in, in a lot of circles I mean it's it's a different kind of a Boise school board election for sure yeah, you don't normally see these uh, in Boise. But just to get a reminder, that election, a very unusual day. It's September 4th, the day after Labor Day. And that doesn't align with any other elections in the state of Idaho. And just real briefly and real simply, the reason why that is is because the Boise School District is what's known as a charter district. It predates statehood. So they do things just a little bit differently. And the, um, and the charter spells out that this is the election day in Boise. So it's September 4th, uh, so if you live within the school uh, district boundaries, keep that date in mind. But even before we get to that September 4th election, Kevin, there are bond and levy elections in districts across the state. Tuesday is an election day in several districts around the state. It's one of those four election days where uh, school districts can go before voters with bond issues and levies. And there are some big ones. Idaho Falls is going back to voters to seek a bond issue. That's one for me to watch on Tuesday. They had one fail uh, last November. Right. And this is the biggest of the bunch because there are two different bond issues. They're, they're broken into separate uh, questions. Bottom line, it's close to $100 million that they're seeking. The big crux of the proposal is to try to... Uh, to upgrade and modernize their high schools. And, and they are aging high schools. I mean, we both lived in Idaho Falls for a few years. Um, you know, 
our first apartment uh, when my wife and I got married was across the street from Idaho Falls High School. And I don't know if it's changed all that much uh, in the 28 years since uh, my wife and I got married. I mean, th these are aging high schools, but this is a big uh, proposal. There's a lot of money on the table. And Idaho Falls is not alone. Uh, Jefferson County has a, a pretty big bond issue going. Middleton has a bond issue, and this too is a repeat. Uh, Middleton had, seek, had sought a bond issue in March. Uh, they're looking to build a new elementary school. They're going back to voters in, uh, on, on Tuesday. And you've got some levies, uh, supplemental levies across the state. Uh, Bonneville is seeking a supplemental levy. Um, Madison is, is seeking one. We have a roundup of what's on the ballot on uh, idahoednews.org, so you can see if there are questions on the ballot in your community. Uh, Devin Bodkin in Eastern Idaho has a more in-depth look at the Idaho Falls bond issue. So definitely if you're in that community and trying to figure out how to vote, check his story out and get up to date. All right. That's a lot of election talk, but I'm, I'm having fun. Let's stay on the same topic uh, and talk about a story that I was working on this week, kind of taking a look at the early stages of the state superintendent's race. Because there's also an November. election in November, by the way. You, you know, may have heard of this. Attention Idaho reporters. reporters. Yes, there's an election in November. This and, is the big one. Yeah, and, and, and you're looking at one of the big races here, obviously, the uh, state superintendent's race. What did you see as you kind of tried to look behind the curtain and get a sense of how these candidates are approaching the run-up? The interesting thing to me was the approach for these two candidates at least at this point, could not be more different, Kevin. Almost completely opposite styles. Cindy Wilson, the Democratic nominee, embracing her role as the challenger, and that means she's getting on the road. She's spent a lot of time up in North Idaho. She's been over to Eastern Idaho, Southern Idaho. Uh, she was in McCall this week, is going to Blaine County later this week. She told me uh, that she's probably on the road, sleeping away from her house, eight days out of every 10 at this yeah. point. And Superintendent Ibarra, the Republican in incumbent, the state superintendent, uh, on the other hand, is keeping a real low profile. And, and it is kind of early. Uh, you know, we're still a, a ways away from November, uh, but Superintendent Ibarra does not have an active campaign uh, presence, uh, really by any standard definition of what that would entail. She has done a couple of events. Uh, she spoke with the Canyon County Republican women last week. Um, doesn't have a big online profile. Uh, only has, I think, 20 people following a campaign Facebook page. Whereas Cindy and, and Wilson... three of them are employees of Idaho Education News. Yeah, more than 10% of them are uh, Ed News we're following employees. to see what, uh, what's going on. Uh, whereas Cindy Wilson has the Facebook page with 1,300 followers. And in this... Election will not be won or lost on Facebook. And, and it'll just give you a glimpse of how the two campaigns are uh, operating at this point. Cindy Wilson is looking to meet with people. Uh, she's gone on conservative radio uh, in eastern Idaho. She says she will... Um, people can schedule an appointment on her website. This is kind of cool to talk one-on-one -on -one if they even want to. If they have questions about her or her campaign, she'll come out and meet with one person. Uh, if that's that's the threshold, uh, if they have questions about the campaign or want to meet her, she's also agreeing to do any kind of debate or forum that is put in front of her. Uh, whereas Sherry Ibarra, 
we already know has, has, has turned down at least two debate opportunities. I spoke with David Adler, uh, who's a constitutional scholar, been involved mm-hmm. with yep. uh, higher education and politics in the state of Idaho for years and years and years, follows the legislature, follows presidential politics. He's on the board of directors for the Idaho Falls City Club. He said the Idaho Falls City Club reached out uh, to the two candidates. Cindy Wilson agreed to a debate, and Superintendent Ibarra's team told the Idaho Falls City Club, according to David Adler, that there is no day between now and the general election where, where Superintendent Ibarra is available to debate in Idaho Falls, that her calendar is already full. Uh, full disclosure, Idaho Ed News uh, is setting up a candidate forum for October 9th. We've invited both of the state superintendent candidates. Cindy Wilson agreed and has confirmed her presence. We have sent more than 10 requests to Superintendent Ibarra, to her campaign staff, and her State Department of Education communications team. None of those responses, none of those requests have gotten a response. We have not heard. silence from, from the Ibarra campaign. So Superintendent, if you're listening, we would love to have you uh, participate in our forum on October 9th. Still stands. Um, and it puts us, it, like, uh, it puts us, and I think it puts the Idaho Falls City Club in a bit of a quandary. I mean, what do you, what do you do? I mean, the Idaho Falls City Club is doing what I think we would do if we're in the same situation. You have one candidate that's willing and available. Uh, you present that candidate, you give that candidate an opportunity to field questions and lay out. Uh, lay out her position. I mean, that's really all you can do. And, you know, you, you send the invitations and you, you hope you have both candidates. It will be a much better dialogue on October 9th if we have the two candidates. I mean, we saw a glimpse of it a couple of weeks ago when the two candidates yeah, were on the briefly. same stage uh, at the um, Idaho uh, School Administrators Conference. It was a good back and forth. And we talked about it at the time. I hope we see more of it. Hey, I hope we see more of it at our forum on October 9th. I hope that there are other debates uh, between these two candidates between now and, and the November election. I, I think uh, voters are much better served when they hear the candidates in multiple forms and hear the two candidates side by side. That's the, the best way to compare where these candidates stand, to contrast and make a more informed decision as voters. H- however you decide to vote, I, I think you're just better served when you see the two candidates. So that, I mean, here's that- hoping. That's hoping. That's the point. We're trying to do it as a public service to the residents of the state of Idaho. And Cindy Wilson has already picked up on this, and it's kind of making it a campaign issue. She told me this week that it's unfortunate that the superintendent did not agree to debate her in Idaho Falls. Uh, and Cindy Wilson said, you know what? The real people who, who get left out here and the, and the real people who suffer here are the voters and the residents of the state of Idaho because we do not get to have that conversation in eastern Idaho now uh, about the goals for the State Department of Education, about the goals for student achievement, about some important policy points that will be coming up that will dominate the next year and certainly the next four years for whoever wins this election in November. But we're talking about big school funding decisions, big school safety decisions, um, a new funding formula, all all kinds of things on the table. Uh, We're implementing new science standards. We're transitioning to a couple of new tests. Uh, this is not a. This is. I mean, there are a lot going it's on not in education. A election. This is I mean, not business as be... usual. Um, there are a lot of important decisions to be made. Uh, At and so, a time stay tuned. When you have a new governor, when you have some new 
leadership in the legislature and some key committees. Uh, you even have, you know, looking at it more broadly, you know, lots of changes in higher education, new university presidents. So whoever winds up running the State Department of Education as state superintendent, I mean, it's a big deal. And it's going to have implications, obviously, in K-12 policy, but in the more broad sense of, uh, of education policy from, from K through career. So, yeah, yeah, you would like to see more engagement between these two candidates. Yeah, and I think you've done a really good job, Clark, with this story, kind of looking at the strategies. And, you know, strategies differ b between an incumbent and a newcomer. I mean, Cindy Wilson's doing what a newcomer really has to do. She's never People run the state yeah. office before. She's been in teaching for 30 plus years. But she's never run for state office. You, you, you've got to get out there. And, and she's doing what any playbook would tell her to do. You've got to get out there and you don't turn down any invitation. Even if there's just one person who wants to you know, bend your ear about something, you make time for that one person because that's you know one person that may wind up voting for you and may wind up telling neighbors and colleagues and friends and family, hey, I talked to this candidate. Here's what I heard. You know, I like what I heard. You know, do with that what you will. So she's doing exactly what a, a challenger should do. And Cherry Bar is doing what we see incumbents tend to do. They tend to focus on their, their job. They take advantage of the visibility that comes with incumbency. And maybe they don't do as much uh, retail level campaigning. So difference in strategy, but also difference in position where these two candidates uh, stand uh, politically at this point. I think this will be a close race. Uh, it, it's still right early, we several should. months away. This may be the race that keep, keeps us up late at night, waiting for results on election day in November. late uh, four years ago. But this could be, I mean, this could be a winning strategy from Superintendent Ibarra. This is kind of what she did four years ago. She won a crowded Republican primary with no name recognition and no fundraising, uh, and she went on to win a close general election um, without doing a lot of media outreach. She did some debates and forums, but not a ton, uh, but was, she sort of kept her head heavily, down heavily and kept a low profile. But um, the superintendent did not talk to me for this article uh, this week, but she has made very clear in the past, and she has told me and told the public that she's not a typical politician, she's not going to behave like a typical politician, and we will be disappointed if we expect that. And so she said she's focusing on uh, on being superintendent, and, and so we're going to scrutinize that, and we're going to follow the campaigns and follow uh, the superintendent's work in office, both on the campaign trail and uh, in the day-to-day 9-to-5 office as state superintendent, and, sure. and try to give... Uh, the voters as much information as they can, but this may well be a, a winning re-election strategy for the superintendent, knowing that um, she's part of the dominant Republican Party and she enjoys name recognition in her status as an incumbent. Um, she may feel like there is more to lose going out and answering a bunch of questions on camera than uh, keeping her head down. So we'll see. Uh, but a, a lot of political news this week. If you want to get caught up on any of the bond and levy elections, if you want to get caught up on the Boise School Board race or an early look at the state superintendent's race, just on, head on over to our homepage at www.idahoednews.org. But before we go this week, let's take a break from politics. Let's talk about endowment monies. Uh, let's talk about a check uh, that's going to be sent to schools. Uh, but you, you followed this week. What did you find out? Yeah. Well, you were at the uh, Boise School Board Forum. I was at the uh, state land board meeting. And the land board 
wound up giving a little bit more money to K-12 uh, out of the endowment. And the endowment is basically uh, receipts and proceeds from state lands, uh, driven largely by timber sales. And timber sales are on the increase. Uh, also, uh, it's been a good year on the investment end for, for the state's endowment. So what does this mean for public schools? Well, it means a slight increase, about a million dollars more from state lands to public schools. So we're talking about an increase from $50 million to $51 million. That's not a big increase, uh, especially when you put that $51 million into the context of a $1.8 billion, with a B, yeah. uh, dollar budget for, for K-12. So it's not a big budget driver. It's a little bit like the lottery. We talk about the lottery proceeds and what that means for schools. It's spent a little bit differently, but you get the point. I mean, we're talking about a relatively small chunk of money in the bigger context. But what is happening, and I think it maybe goes to the larger debate about lands policy and state land use, that endowment figure has gone up uh, fairly significantly just in the past three years. I mean, three years ago, uh, schools were receiving about $37 million uh, from the endowment. So that's the, the endowment figure for 2016, 2017. So for 2019, 2020, and that was what was voted on on Tuesday, the, the next budget year, we're looking at $51 million. So a pretty significant increase uh, for K-12. Other endowment beneficiaries of note uh, saw some increases, including the colleges of education yep. in, in the universities. And that's kind of a big deal. As we talk, seems like almost uh, regularly, we talk about teacher shortages and teacher hiring issues around the state. So what's happening at the colleges of education and funding for those colleges is kind of a big deal. Uh, those colleges received an increase. Um, University of Idaho got some increases. So anyway, we've got the breakdown of those endowment dollars at idahoednews.org if you want to get caught up there. All right. Thanks for following the money on that, Kevin, and putting it in context. I think that just about wraps up everything that we wanted to get to this week. Busy week looking ahead to the elections. But I do want to remind you, Kevin, you mentioned at the beginning of the show, back to school in the state's two largest districts. Uh, we hope everybody's gearing up for uh, a successful school year, whether you're a student, parent, teacher, administrator. Hope everyone's going back to school and enjoying it. But we want to reward our readers. We have a contest going on right now on our Facebook page, Back to School Photo Contest. It'll be open uh, through the first week of September. Uh, find Idaho Ed News on fake Facebook and send us your first day of school photos. Uh, you'll be eligible to win a cool prize from Idaho Ed News. Uh, all the details are there on the Facebook page. Um, check out the photos that are already out there. A lot of fun They're photos. A um, lot of fun photos with uh, kids going back to school, teachers uh, getting their classrooms ready for the first day. Uh, just a little insider tip if you want to win the prize. Uh, try something original. Think about something a little different and a little fun. Uh, we love all the photos that uh, we've gotten, but uh, try to be a little creative and have some fun and, and, and tag us there um, with your photo, and we'll announce the winner in uh Second week of September, I believe, somewhere yeah, thereabouts. Cool. But anyways, thanks so much uh, for tuning in to Extra Credit this week. We always have a lot of fun kind of examining this intersection between education policy and education politics. We have a lot of fun on the Extra Credit podcast and glad that you're joining us. We will be back next Friday with another new episode. But until then, thank you so much for listening. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.